American woman Get away from me American woman Mama let me be The woman knocking on my door I don't wanna see your face no more now Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, except now we all want to become models when we grow up. With me today, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Howdy ho. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we'll be discussing American Beauty, a movie by Sam Mendes from 1999. Opinions of this movie seems to be split back then and even today, so I can't wait to hear what you guys think of it. Before we go there, next episode we'll be discussing Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, an album from 1966. I'll tell you why I chose this album near the end of this episode. And as always, you can find all the ways to contact us and follow us in the show notes. And you can go on our website, see what's the subject of the next episode that's going to be recorded. Send us your thoughts about it. One more thing before we start. This is episode 6. We're moving along quite quickly. Episode 10 will be a quest log episode. We'll be discussing previous episodes. Uh, we'll discuss what we've learned, conclusions we've made, share some behind-the-scenes stuff, maybe. If you want to ask us any questions, give us any criticisms, send it in, and we'll be discussing it in episode 10. It's going to be somewhat of a special episode. Now, before we're going to go to the main discussion, Barrio, you found another interesting S-Credit question that we're going to discuss. So the question today is this. You can make everyone follow one rule you make. What is it? Just before we start, I want to say, no rules. I mean, you can choose whatever you want, you know, even if it's <laughs> no rules. And we obviously didn't think of everything when we thought up our rules, so you'll have to imagine that our rules have clauses that kind of take care of all the loopholes you can think of. So, um, oh, mine has no loopholes. Mine's perfect. <laughs> so you get to start. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Okay. <laughs> well, during my brief uh, two minutes of thinking about this, most of my thoughts were going to like, how would I punish people for doing things that are wrong? Like driving crimes, cutting people off. But then I forgot these aren't rules. These are just like punishments. So and I, I didn't want to go for something too major because I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion that we should have less rules. So... One of the ones was something about psychedelic uh, legalization, but that's not a rule that everyone should follow. That, that's just an option. So um, I had to get it with something that would improve. Ev- it couldn't, couldn't harm anyone, and it's not an obligation. Um, well, it is an obligation, but it's not a very big obligation. <laughs> and something that I would be happy to sort of stand up in front of 300 million people and say, you got to do this. So the rule that I would command people to follow is to drink a glass of water every morning. It's like I don't do it all the time, but it helps with your hydration, obviously. It helps with your alertness, helps your immune system, and it um, fills you up before breakfast so you don't overeat. And it's, um, yeah, it's just really good for you. So that's what I do. No loopholes at all. <laughs> what size is the cup? Oh, <laughs> Like, maybe I can drink, like, a very small cup, or maybe I can drink an ocean. I was going to go, like, 500 mils, but there would be very old people who were, like, 
drinking through a straw, that would that would be difficult. So I sort mm. of wanted to make it um, universal. And also there's people that are like um, being um, water tortured. So I bet, you know, they wouldn't want <laughs> too much water in addition to the stuff that's dropping on their head. So how are you going to enforce this rule? Uh, says this is fun. I would do a, <laughs> I would do a peer dobbin system. So, um, I would say like you can dob someone in. So like if it's like your sister, there's like a hotline where, um, you call in and if you dob someone in and you show evidence, I don't know what would constitute evidence of someone not drinking water, but <laughs> whatever technology will evolve. I'm sure if you can get evidence of someone like some sort of like body cam for the whole morning and you send it in through this hotline i guess it could be a whatsapp uh no rules really (laughs) i would say for being a snitch but for snitching on this particular thing i would say you get a 50 50 outcome 50 50 chance of you getting a thousand dollars or um you have to go to jail for like a week so yeah I, I don't know why. I don't know why. It just sounds fun. <laughs> so you're not really worried about people's hydration. You just want to make the world funny. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, my other idea was every statue has to have a sensor where if you walk past it, it plays a fart sound. That that was my other one. That's not a that's not a rule. So. Hence, hence making the world a better place. <laughs> when I went over that Reddit thread, there were so many good answers and it kind of popped a lot of ideas to my head. I think one of the best ones that I encountered there is um, when reporting a news story, it has to be like completely obligated to reality. To be very accurate. And someone wrote it down there and um, I, I kept thinking, Jesus, this, this is exactly the issue. Like, th- that would be an amazing rule. Everything mm-hmm. will be so much better if we would just understand reality as it is. And then it popped another idea into my head because I think that while understanding exactly how the reality is actually is, um, people will still probably be not very happy about it and i i try to think of of something that like it's it's simple and it will probably make a difference so i thought of a rule that will obligate everyone in every age to have at least one hour of therapeutic session or talk once um, a month let's say or maybe once every two weeks and everyone have to attend this. And of course, that will create a very big shortage of, you know, shrinks. Like you, you probably won't have enough. So you will have to put it also in the education system of how to be prepared to do that kind of stuff. And you'll have to prepare it from a very young age in order to be a functioning member of society. So you'll, you also know how to talk with someone else and you'll also have to learn how to listen to someone else. You know, it always was in the back of my mind that a lot of really bad stuff could have been prevented if people would just, you know, release steam with someone else. And, you know, when doing something like that for for a long time, it probably creates like this really healthy routine of sharing what's inside and like processing it with another human being. And um, I think it it will be a very interesting role. Yeah, I like that. I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'd love to do something like that myself. I mean, I think everyone has stuff to talk about with someone professional. And I don't know if it's hard to find someone you can talk to and you feel like he understands you. Someone that you can, 
you know, open up to. But I think everyone should try talking to someone. And I, I really like what you suggest there. And having it as part of our society, yeah. everyone has to do it. I think it could be interesting. You should write a movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's a good premise. There, there are a lot of issues with it because, like, imagine that you do it, but you don't do it with the same person through your entire life, right? Because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. may move or may die or something. Then you'll have to kind of switch it from time to time. And what happens if, if you switch it too often? Then, like, your, your talks kind of become a bit more um, mechanical and maybe less personal. And that can also create certain issues and certain <laughs> uh, plot points. But I think, I think it will definitely change the world for the better. So uh, that's my agenda when, uh, when I'll try to conquer the world. Mine, I try to think of something that will end something that annoys me and also be good for the environment. So my rule, I'll tell you my rule and I'll build up towards what annoys me that, that this rule takes care of. My rule is this, no single-use items ever again. Hmm. No uh, single-use utensils, no single-use packaging, no, nothing. And, well, obviously, it avoids any more environmental damage from us. You know, um, use of resources and the amount of trash that we generate will be decreased immensely. Obviously, there are single-use things that are important. Like, I don't know, maybe medical equipment must be single-use or... Rubber gloves and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So manufacturers of these kind of things will get special permits. But, you know, a lot of things we can get rid of entirely. There are alternatives to a lot of daily things that we use that are single use so how will the world will look without packaging well you'll have to read the entire rule i wrote down and uh there's a special clause just for that which i'm not gonna go into no i'm kidding um <laughs> i was gonna say this is a goddamn podcast like we're not <laughs> go on and on no but i don't have answers for everything now but i know i have a few friends who take like multiple use containers to the supermarket instead of buying uh, i don't know nuts yeah, they sell in those little bags. They don't use those little bags. Uh, you know, the, there's there's a solution for everything, I think. If there's no solution for something, then my rule magically covers it somehow. What do you think of, like, one-time uh, packages or utensils or anything that decay more quickly? If they're yeah. uh, biodegradable, they're okay with me. Uh, if they degrade fast enough and efficiently enough. What bugged me and got me to think of this rule is cigarettes. Because cigarettes, if you think about it, they're single use and and that annoys me. Uh, This rule isn't against smoking, it's against single use cigarettes because if people wanna smoke, it's their choice. I used to smoke cigarettes for, I don't know, like five years when in my early 20s and Right now, looking back at it, I can't really say what I liked about smoking because I stopped smoking when I figured I'm not really enjoying this. I'm just smoking because I feel cool and it makes me stinky and it costs me money. So in my opinion, from my experience, cigarettes literally only have downsides. I mean, I can't find anything positive in smoking. It's not like weed or beer that you get sort of a high and you kind of feel good about yourself or or you have fun. Nothing. I bet people won't agree with me, but this is where I stand. I, I think I'm coming from the point where I think cigarettes are totally useless, right? And the disadvantages in cigarettes are wild. Uh, obviously, it kills a lot of people, but more bugging to me, and this is what I saw that got me to think of this, people throw the cigarette butts everywhere as if it magically disappears when it hits the ground. I saw someone on the train station 
throwing a candy bar wrapper in the trash and then proceeds to throw a cigarette butt on the floor. I mean, I, I, I don't even get it. <laughs> and 95% of those cigarette filters are made of plastic, cellulose acetate, which is considered biodegradable, but very slowly, very inefficiently. You can't really rely on that. Mm-hmm. And um, other than the filters that people throw everywhere, I don't like the, the use of tobacco and the use of paper. I mean, both require land and water to grow, which are two resources we should be saving. Uh, we, we don't have unlimited resources, obviously, and to use these very important resources to grow stuff that we use for smoking seems useless to me, seems horrible. I don't know. Obviously, there's other stuff we can take care of, like the transportation industry. Uh, also pollutes, also uses a bunch of resources, and even pollutes more and use more resources than cigarettes. But first of all, a lot is being done to change that already. Electric cars and buying from uh, local sources and stuff like that. But also it has a bunch of advantages. The economy and the way we live today never could have looked like it is today, couldn't be what it is today without transportation, which you can't say that about cigarettes, I think. And I think moving from uh, single-use cigarettes to other alternatives is important, and it could be a fairly easy step that we should take. I'm changing yeah. my rule. Um, everyone should have to drink <laughs> a glass of water out of a glass. Can't be one of these single-use ones. All our rules together, and we will have an utopia. <laughs> you know, the, have you heard, um, I saw a couple of years ago, I think, like a replacement for bottled waters. Um, that also kind of relates with uh, with your rule, Peter, um, that they created some kind of a transparent algae, I think, and yeah. you got like these balls of uh, water that you just puncture and drink through. And I think you can actually eat what's left of it, but uh, like yeah. it's, uh, it's <laughs> supposed to be very eco-friendly. <laughs> Biodegradable algae water bottles. The, the membrane is made of, yeah, you're right, algae, and it's, it biodegrades very easily, very fast. Um, it's a great solution for stuff like this. And I just have to say one more thing. I have a special hidden clause in my rule that states that everyone is entitled to one free cone of ice cream a month, but only edible cones, none, none of those paper cups. Hmm, that's quite hmm. nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very complicated rule. You know, but if you're banning everything that is one time, then you've got a lot of um, reusable plastic utensils, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll, you you kind of have to think of how you're going to clean all of them. Yeah. Probably the cleaning industry will be amazing. Invest now. And you'll have to think of how, <laughs> how to prevent it from, you know, sabotaging your eco efforts. Because, like, they, they'll create a very efficient cleaning soap, but it will kill everything that is alive. Oh, don't worry, I have clauses for everything. <laughs> This week, we uh, decided to finally watch American Beauty, uh, a film from 99 that there was a lot of, a lot of talk about, and, uh, and somehow we kind of missed it. Yeah. Um, I guess when it came out, we were pretty young. I was two years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're youngling. Um, I think we were around... Maybe it 11, came out right? in 99, we were born in 88, so around 11. Mm, that's some good math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably why, but we never had the chance to see it ever since. So we used this week and got into it. Spoiler alert, of course. 
So um, basically, we start the movie with a guy called uh, Lester Benham. Lester Burnham, yeah, uh, and he kind of narrates uh, how his perfect life with his wife and uh, and daughter, on paper everything is perfect, but he says that he's completely sedated from his day-to-day life, and um, we kind of see that they plan on firing a lot of people from his work, and they ask him to fill out what exactly does he do and, and why his function is important in order to save his job, and that kind of gets him furious. And and everything kind of starts to lean into the worst place of, uh, of being sedated, I guess. But then things start to change when they go to a basketball game in, in his uh, daughter's high school, which is very reluctant to go. And when... He and his wife go there, they see his daughter doing this cheerleader dance during the the game's break. And suddenly he kind of wakes up and I'm not sure if he falls in love, but definitely he gets a thing from one of the cheerleader, which is a good friend of of his daughter. Yeah, he kind of he doesn't really fall in love, but he kind of fantasizes about it. It's something he wants, which didn't happen in a while, I think. Yeah. And like there's uh, this rose petal element that kind of appears for the first time when he, when he fantasizes about her. And suddenly wakes up and becomes like a very different person than, than he was instead of going with his life. He kind of wakes up. He, everything starts with, with him kind of want to get ahead with, with that girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind how in- inappropriate it is, but he, he kind of makes it uh, his goal. And in the process, he quits his job and he starts working out and um, he starts talking and saying his opinion out loud. Starts smoking a, a lot of drugs. Yeah, starts smoking a lot of weed. He, he gets this relationship with the kid next door that becomes like his personal <laughs> dealer. I mean, it kind of sounds harsh, but I guess it's drawn pretty harmless in the movie. Like, he, he smokes, yeah. he, he does good to him, but it's kind of to emphasize uh, the, the change that he's going through. That kid is getting in a relationship with his daughter. Yeah, Ricky, the kid next door, is dating Jane, uh, Lester's yeah. daughter. And Ricky is also being kind of being threatened by, by his dad, which is a U.S. military colonel. Yeah, Colonel Fitz. Uh, who is very uh, homophobic and kind of uh, make sure that Ricky have a structured life, as mm-hmm. uh, as it says. His wife... Carolyn, Lester's wife? Yeah, she's doing a real estate and she's also having a hard time. And she, other than like having this uh, self-empowering uh, tapes that she's hearing, uh, she starts having uh, an affair with one of her... Um, Work rivals, maybe? Yeah, she starts also uh, going to uh, gun ranges and falls in love with... Uh, Letting off steam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, th- that's kind of... I think those are like the three main threads of of the plot. Uh, so we have Lester, we got his wife, and we got his daughter and uh, Ricky, her boyfriend. And we know that Lester is going to die, like the movie starts with it. And it all comes down to this one night when again, the blonde cheerleader that Lester kind of has a thing for... And Angela. She comes to sleep over and gets very close to sleeping with Lester, which at the end stops it. We got Ricky that finds his way out of his house by making his father sure that he's homosexual. 
and we have Lester's wife that was caught cheating and decides to to not be the victim. She takes one of the guns and heading towards home. And it all kind of resolves when Colonel Fitz that we saw earlier after his son left home and we kind of find out that he was a, a homosexual himself and tried to kiss uh, Lester, which turned him down. And he comes to actually shoot him in the back of his head. And I think that kind of wraps everything and that pretty much how it ends what did you guys think of the movie i i generally quite like 90s movies there's just something about them that have always appealed to me and um going into this one with um kevin spacey he's been in quite a lot of big films so i thought it might it would it looks like a quality film so going into i had high expectations well maybe not high but good like relatively relatively high not not super high but it came out and i was i was impressed it was deeper than i expected i thought it would be closer to like an american pie type situation but i guess as the title says if you look closer you can sort of see more of the deeper themes such as like you know superficiality um, which i think is probably best summarized when kevin he admits to colonel fitz that his uh, marriage is just a is just a front you know, I thought that really summarized the film for me. It, it was just the reveal behind like the normal sort of nuclear family where everyone's life isn't so perfect. And I thought it was just really entertaining. And I thought um, revealing that Lester died in the opening scene. I thought that was that was a good move because it really sort of mm-hmm. made you interested to see like what was going to happen so um overall very very impressed enjoyed it what about you when uh, we decided to watch this movie I-, I read somewhere that it had a lot of uh, negative reactions when it came out because a lot of people thought it was just pretentious that it didn't really have any meaning it just tried to feel artsy so i didn't really know what i was walking into and i really really liked it i think the idea of exploring a theme from a few different perspectives four or five of the characters are exploring the same theme and i really like this as a tool to tell the story i kind of like the feeling of the movie like everyone feels awful i don't know everybody feels like a negative character and everything kind of collapses during the movie i really liked the way it explores the story i really like the theme because it's something i kind of it's not something i deal with myself but it's something that you know you kind of fear growing up to be boring or having to be this perfect person that's what you thought the theme was like i um... thought the theme was dealing with identity crisis i think each and every character has something missing from their identity or they think that something is missing and they're all kind of trying to find beauty like i thought lester was trying to recapture his youth he he hated his boring daily life uh like i said he feels sedated and at the end he kind of manages to see the error of his ways he finds out what's really important to him he finds beauty in his family he looks just before he dies he looks at a picture of his family and he's you know he smiles he's, even a, a minute before that for the first time throughout the movie he kind of asks How's Jane? I really want to know how's Jane doing. He never asked before that. He was not interested in her at all. So that's what I think Lester is. You know, he was a good character when he was younger, kind of lost his way. And in the end, he kind of got a good ending. I think Carolyn is what happens when you forget uh, who you are due to pressure of having to be perfect. She, she She's all about external appearance. She always has to be perfect. She 
grows the roses outside of their house. Uh, she always cares about how everything inside the house looks, and she's afraid of spilling beer on a sofa. That's more important to her than having a nice moment with her husband. As a young person, she used to be very fun and, and spontaneous, and she kind of grew up to be this joyless woman. Um, let me ask you this. Near the end, when she kind of walks towards the house and she keeps repeating this mantra, I will not be a victim. What do you think she meant? I mean, what do you think she was going to do? Do you think she was going to shoot Lesser? Well, I think towards the end, they were really setting it up to be anyone could have killed him at that moment. And mm-hmm. well, actually, except for, um, what's her name? Angela. But um, I mean, she could have, not off the table. Uh, but um, I thought it was intended to be that she was going to kill him. But I think it was, I don't know what she really meant by I'm not going to be the victim. I thought, I thought she was, I don't know. I think, I don't think she was in her right mind. I think that was the, that was the aim, yeah. I think that her character arc has only one real solution. But before I go into that, what what do you think, Barrio? Like, I think they did a really good job uh, in us not knowing who's going to finally kill uh, Lester. Uh-huh. And I think that, like, we see throughout the movie that, in a way, she's kind of trapped in that marriage. She says, I'm going to divorce you so fast that uh, it's going to spin your head. And then he kind of says, not unless you want me to take, like, half of all what you own. And she kind of leaves that idea and, and decides to keep being in that marriage, although she, she definitely doesn't want to. She she yeah. likes the Buddy King or what's his name? Uh, the other I don't uh, remember. Real, real estate engine. I think it's Buddy. The king of real estate. His royalty. Um, yeah, he's a character who always looks perfect and she kind of wants to be like. She, she kind of idolizes him. Yeah, and they're kind of like in exactly the same position. He's maybe like one step ahead of her because he's already going through a divorce. And he also mentions that it's, it's a very expensive divorce. Yeah. And and that's probably what she's kind of afraid of. We also see like a peek into her past when she kind of slaps Jane, her daughter, while she's saying she's a spoiled brat. Because when she was at her age, they lived in a in a duplex that um, like, like she, came, really she, came, she came from a... Yeah, she came from a poor start. Relatively poor. It's not really bad. I mean, it could yeah. be much worse. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. But but the thing is that she does. She, she has a great deal for money. Um, yeah, it's important. It's important to her. That's why she's not divorcing Lester. And and I think at the end, like she feels so so trapped, so with her back against the wall that the mantra is. I'm going to stand up to him. I'm going to, I want to, to hold the power. That's exactly what, how, how she felt when she shot with the guns at the gun range. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if she brought the gun in order to kill him. I kind of, I don't really think that she meant, like when, when she went towards the house with the gun, I was kind of thinking that doesn't sound like she, it doesn't make sense that she will kill him. That, that kind of goes against her character because eventually she want to be successful and being a murderer probably won't help that. No, I think you're exactly right. I think she had the gun in her handbag and she was hugging it. I think the gun was a symbol of power to her. Yeah. But I don't think she was going to use it. I think I'm not going to be a victim anymore is I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of this relationship and not be victimized by it anymore. I think Lester, when he goes through his arc, he becomes very childish and selfish. And she finally comes to terms with it, and she's able to tell him that she's ready to get out of it, no matter the money, no matter how expensive the divorce is going to be. I think she started as a good character, she lost herself in the middle, but she, she gets a good ending. I think so. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it's a good ending for the character, but she realizes her mistakes and she knows how to move on. So I think it's a good ending. You know, I, I'm not sure I actually got the same thing from that ending. Uh-huh. It's probably a good thing because after she realizes he's dead, she goes to the closet and she first she throws the gun away. Yeah, she hides a gun. And then she hugs all his uh, jackets. And like it can say that she kind of regrets what she has done to him. Maybe she, she finally understood what she lost. Yeah. But, you know, that, that can also be like because she didn't really get closure out of it. It's too simple to say that, oh, I'm, I'm just because he's dead. I now realize that I actually loved him all along. No, I think it's more complicated than that. The wife of Colonel Fitz, she's kind of... Um, I think she, she come to emphasize certain aspects of Caroline's character. Because like there's a point where Jane and Ricky come in and they see his mother and she's just you know staring expressionless into the room and they finally get her out of it she apologizes to jane about the mess and but everything is sparkling yeah it's perfect (laughs) yeah so i think that also shows us a very extreme version of what caroline might have become you know that nothing is perfect and you kind of become very empty inside Ricky's mother character is, is an empty shell, right? Yeah. Of something that, that barely exists and, and, all, and is finished the transformation to be only for show. Yeah, it's a good like, point. Uh, Ricky's family is also very pre- just good on paper, but once you, you go inside of it, you, you understand that everything is, is just rotten. Yeah. Um, I think Angela, uh, the cheerleader, the young girl, She's kind of supposed to, to present the effect of society on someone who hasn't yet had the chance to develop their own identity. She says that people, have, men, have looked at her weird since she was 12, like since she started developing. And I think at 12, she obviously didn't know how to deal with it. So her story is to show us how a young person deals with developing an identity in a weird society. She kind of convinces herself that it's a normal thing and she wants to be special. She wants to be a model. She doesn't want to be ordinary. She doesn't want to be a common rose, you know? And in the end, she figures out, I don't know, that her identity is kind of a sham. She's not a major character, so I don't think we see how she reacts to everything. But I think she's, I don't know, I think she got a good ending. I think she'll be able to pick up the pieces and, and move on from this. Yeah, I thought her ending was my my favorite out of all the characters. Um, mm-hmm. just It just seemed like she, just in an instant, she sort of broke out of trying to be cool and trying to yeah. represent the image and then she actually started to work on um sort of recognize that there's like an inside to everything it's not all about what you put out sometimes it's like what um what you're doing yeah i thought i thought hers was the most satisfying conclusion of an arc actually I think definitely Angela's element is the <laughs> like Angela is the american beauty right and I think the the whole interaction with the rose petals, which are also like very, you know, it's it's red, it's beautiful, but it, well, it, it's garbage. <laughs> like you don't have anything to do with rose petals. Eventually, after you finish admiring their their beauty, they just rot and and they they're kind of empty. And that's pretty much what what Angela's character is also about. I think like the surprise that Lester has when she says that. It's her first time. And, and he says, you're kidding. It's kind of like, that's exactly the realization that this whole beauty uh, and, and wanting to be around that beauty is, is empty. And he realizes what he, he wanted all along 
that everything it does in the movie is in order to get to Angela. And he understands that Angela is a sham as well. And that kind of changes his whole perspective about that beauty. Um, so I think that Angela, I, I didn't find Angela like a very interesting character. Like she did, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure that she did went into a change more than she kind of was part of someone else's change and, and she got affected. Well, it's it's open for interpretation, I think. But uh, people kind of think that she's the main character, that she is the Rose, that she's um, the American beauty. But I don't think so. I think she's not supposed to be such a major character. I think they just put her on all the um, commercial posters and on the package. and everything so people kind of think that she's gonna be something special in the movie I, I don't know if you know but American Beauty that's a type of rose have you heard about that no I didn't know that. yeah oh no and I think once you like Peter said look closer which is something that, that uh, Sam Mendes the director said and um, you can see a sign with look closer on uh, Lester's work desk um, it's also one... in the um, on the cover I think of the oh really yeah I didn't know that sorry you should have looked closer yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> now once you look closer you can see that there are roses almost everywhere and I think you can connect them to each and every character Carolyn she always tends to the rose outside and she makes sure that there are roses in every room of the house and that they're very well tended that they're in order it symbolizes her need to look at good outside externally and um, you can see the first dinner they have they have like a big bouquet of roses on the table but on the dinner where everything kind of collapses and everyone's fighting there are no roses in the room at all I think Lester when once he finds beauty and he, he finds that all he needs in life is his family just before he dies you see a bouquet of roses um, Jane I, I think Jane she she wears a sweater with roses and she's all about body image at the beginning I think Jane Jane is exploring the idea of identity crisis but I think she's supposed to be the good character she she always just wants to be ordinary you know she wants to be like everyone else she becomes a cheerleader she hangs out with Angela the popular girl but I think at the end she finds out she doesn't need a boob job because people are attracted to her as she is and she, she at the end she says I'm a freak and I'm always gonna be a freak I'm never gonna be ordinary and she's fine with that she finds beauty in herself you know and I think Ricky he's also a good character and But obviously, in a, in a bad situation, he explores the idea of what happens when you put a good character in a very bad situation in this story. He, he's a smart kid. He's always confident. He sees beauty in almost everything. I think he's the only character that you don't see a rose anywhere near because he's not looking for a rose. He already found it. He, he sees beauty in this uh, floating bag that, that's being swayed by the wind. He sees beauty in a dead bird. And... He sees beauty in Angela, in, in, not Angela, in Jane. And every time he sees her, he points a camera at her and he looks closer, he zooms in, you know? Uh, so I think his character explores what happens to a good character in a shitty situation because his, his home life is just broken. I don't know, I, I, I think in the end, Jane gets a good ending and I think Ricky, just the fact that he gets to live and start a new life, I think that's a good ending as well. And the last character I think of is Colonel Fitz, because he's a character that will never come to terms with his own identity. If we're talking about identity crisis, he will never manage to, to come to terms with his, himself, and he's been avoiding himself his whole life. And, and when he tries to accept himself, he gets turned down, and I think he will do anything to bury his identity again. I don't think he will ever find beauty. He, his ending is obviously not good. <laughs> I really like how the movie explores a theme from a few different angles. And I really feel like this movie 
is very calculated. I mean, everything is done on purpose. If it's the angle of the camera, I think every word is in its place. I, I don't think... Yeah. I think everything is just the way it's supposed to be, and I really like it. And I watched the second time, I was looking for roses, and their, their placement is just so exact and so telling. I think you can learn a lot more by looking closer. Interesting. I, I totally agree with you. I watched it only once, but I kept feeling that everything was very calculated, you know, and, and I loved it because like the, if, we, if we'll compare it to Jaws, <laughs> although we, should, <laughs> we, sh- we shouldn't probably, but like in Jaws, there were a couple of things that were kind of uh, for the viewer's experience and not necessarily for, for the plot. Here, everything was very well calculated. Like... Yeah. Um, the interactions of Colonel Fitz with the uh, gay couple that live next door, no matter how affectionate they were towards him, he was very strict and, and very hating. And that very much connected through his character until the end of the movie. And, and so that was very neatly done. And, and also everything else, like everything connected. I, I, lo- I love that about that movie. Yeah, I think with this film, if you took out even a couple scenes, it would really start not to make much sense. With Jaws, there's many scenes you could take out and you'd get the gist of it, but this one is like sort of every scene leads on from the next scene and everything builds upon it jacked. So mm-hmm. you really had to sort of pay attention to this one. Yeah. I kind of felt like it. all the characters were very well written and you could really understand a lot about them and what they want and what's going in their mind by the way they acted and what they said. Except maybe Ricky, I kind of, I wasn't sure if he's crazy inside or not, if his parents think he's crazy, but he's normal, if, I don't know, even after watching it a second time, I can't really understand Ricky's character. I thought Ricky's sort of point of view was everyone else was obsessed with the outside, the superficial image and seeking the American beauty, Mm -hmm. but Ricky sort of sees directly past that and he's more concerned with just inner beauty, so he's... That's why he's going for Jane instead of Angela, and that's why he's on the outside. He looks sort of normal-ish, but on the inside, he's having a great time. You know, he's smoking with Lester. He's <laughs> making money. I mean, yeah. um, you know, he seems to be the one that's already sort of gone past this revolution that everyone else is sort of coming to. So, yeah. Yeah, you know what you said before about um, that Ricky doesn't need the American uh, beauty roses around him because he sees beauty everywhere. That's like a very important part, maybe the important part of of Ricky's character because it kind of emphasizes how how superficial everything is. Yeah. And I think that the filmmaker kind of tried to say that it, it will look crazy. And I think that Ricky's character is doing a great job uh, doing it, and he actually converts Jane. Um, yeah. I don't think that his character has a lot to say on its own. I think it's with the relationship to other characters, like the conversion that he does to Jane, how he kind of points out Angela, how he helps uh, Lester maybe get out of the superficial show that he, that, that he puts out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he did, a, like the character did a, a good job in it. But I'm not entirely sure that it has a lot behind it. Although I'm probably wrong because with the whole relationship with his father, it's it's a bit more complicated. I really recommend watching this movie a second time and trying to look for 
the roses in the movie and what they mean. Also, all the things that are rose-colored, like their door is the color of the rose, or Lester's new car is the same rose color. And, and I think it puts a lot of meaning into the movie. Yeah, definitely. The color red is always saying something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's a, anything red in Fitz's house. I don't remember, really, but I'm not sure. Also, I don't yeah. know what it means. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right, but, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure. But I got to say, I love the scene with the frame with uh, when it's raining and you got like the red door that is waiting, Caroline. Yeah, um, yeah beautiful. Was, yeah. Can I tell you guys about some deleted scenes? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Please do. I saw something on the making of, of the movie. They shot a lot of uh, stuff that didn't get into the movie. Sam Mendes, the guy who made the movie, the director, he said that once they finished shooting everything and they started editing, he saw that there's a lot of scenes that don't help the story in any way. The first one is after Lester is killed, the movie kind of keeps going and you know they find the tape where Rick is filming Jane, she asks him to kill his her dad, and they kind of, they go to court, they blame them for his death, and they go to prison, which hmm. I, I agree shouldn't be in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I do think that complicates things. Uh, but another interesting... Wait, J- Jane and Ricky go to jail? Yeah, they mm-hmm. blame them for killing um, Lester. Mm-hmm. They kind of use the tape as an admission. Mm. It's interesting, but uh, it turns it into, um, um, I don't know, a crime drama or something. It's Totally different. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think not, they made a good call. It's not call. needed at all. Yeah. yeah, another thing that's kind of interesting, I thought, um, do you remember after um, Ricky kind of picked the lock or used the key to open the his dad's cabinet to show the Nazi plate to Jane? Um, his yeah, dad yeah. finds out about that and he beats him up. He's always angry, his father, and he, he expects perfection from his son, so I didn't kind of think about that too much. But when you think about it, what has he got to hide there? I mean, he's kind of inexplicably angry. Everything there is for show. What has he got to hide? And then one of the deleted scenes, you get to see that he has a picture there of himself when he was younger with another soldier, um, kind of half-hugging, you know? Maybe it was a crush or a lover that he had when he was much younger. Mm. And that's that's another hint of him, uh, you know, of his character arc. I think that, that one could have gone in. I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah. Um, should we address the whole um, Kevin Spacey Kevin Spacey. Thing? <laughs> I wanted to kind of read up or uh, have someone explain to me the whole Kevin Spacey thing. I-, I didn't have the time to do it. I don't know anything about it. I think in general he was method acting, but he just didn't tell anyone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> what, what do you guys think? Um, I've heard a lot of people won't watch any more Kevin Spacey movies because of that kind of boycott him um I think he's already filmed it um entertainment's out there I don't know don't think it really helps him to watch it he's not getting the proceeds I'm sure cut that off so mm-hmm. um yeah I don't know I don't really have any problem I can still appreciate his acting in fact he's quite a good actor so yeah he is in the beginning of the movie I thought hmm that's a very unlikely Kevin Spacey character he's so timid and uh, and insecure <laughs> and then <laughs> then he becomes Frank Underwood <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking, wow, what an acting performance. How do you really put yourself in the mind of a person like that? And then <laughs> I was thinking, oh, maybe not such a feat after all, but... Um. <laughs> well, all in all, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's hard to say, but I think it's 
came up to my top 15 movies of all time. I really, really liked this movie. Oh, really? I really liked the theme. Yeah, I really liked it. I really liked the theme. Really liked Annette Bening, the actress who plays Carolyn. I thought she was amazing. Yeah, she was really good, actually. Probably um, one of the best performances of the movie, I thought. She could have been a dull character. She really could have been a turn-off for this movie mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't played perfectly, but um, she really pulled off. Yeah, and like I said, I think the theme, it's something I kind of think of every once in a while, and um, I like the way it's been explored, and just thank you, Barrio, for choosing this movie. Really, really good one. Yeah, thanks. Really good. Uh, thanks. Well done, Barrio. <laughs> it, it, it was just like a hmm, movie. I googled movies, <laughs> then I found American Beauty, and I haven't seen it, so that was... Total uh, shot in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, definitely. Google. <laughs> you know, I, I also like to say that 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 movie really caught me by surprise by by how good it is yeah it was definitely different from from what i thought and uh, you know in the peter scale the, we we've totally forgot about the peter scale peter yeah it seemed a little bit corny <laughs> i'd yeah i would give it two pens and a cup <laughs> I, I would i would give it three horses for renting half of an hour a day for Three years. I'll give it a nine out of ten. <laughs> no, you ruined yeah, it. <laughs> you ruined the whole point. <laughs> anyway, next week we'll be talking about Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, an album that came out in 1966. It's uh, the Beach Boys' 11th album. Did you say it was their 11th? Yep, their 11th album. Wow, I don't m- know much about the Beach Boys, but I kind of would have thought that would be a bit earlier. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought so as well, but <laughs> it's not. Um, I, came, I first came across this album, I think, seven or eight years ago. Do you remember Rolling Stone magazine had like a list of the 500 best albums of all time? I know this was ranked very high. Was it Number two. Number two? What was number one? Was it Sgt. Pepper's? Something by the Beatles. I think the Beatles had like five albums in the top ten. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. But I was so surprised that number two was the Beach Boys because uh, even then I think I had in my car a Best of the Beach Boys CD that I used to play all the time. And I really liked it, but I can't see how the Beach Boys got to be number two. And I now I know not to pay too much attention to those kind of lists. I don't really trust them. Can you imagine having a top 100 albums that was right? No. Nope. That was correct? It's a sort of a misnomer. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So I was really surprised that it got to number two on Rolling Stone's list. So back then, seven or eight years ago, I bought this album and I'm holding it right now in my hand and it's in shrink wrap. <laughs> I haven't even opened it. <laughs> And um, I I was very curious about it then, and I'm still now, so I really want to listen to this album. And like I said, I listened to a bit of Beach Boys music, but in this album, I only know two out of the 13 songs, so I, I figured it's new grounds for me. When I'm looking at new music, I sometimes go to all music and look at their um, user ratings. And if it has a few hundred five stars reviews, then I know something might be interesting in this album. It might not be to my uh, taste, but if over 100 people said it's five stars worth, then there's something interesting here. Now, Deja Vu, the album that we've covered in episode two, it has 1,700 five-stars ratings, which is quite a bit. Michael Jackson Thriller uh, has 3,100 ratings of five stars. Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks has 3,750 ratings. And this Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys has 
6,350. That's incredible. Wow. That's incredible. I didn't, they don't have like a list that you can sort by user ratings, but I just went to the Beatles page and like Abbey Road has 9,840 ratings of five Ooh. stars. Yeah, the, the Beatles have five albums that are rated higher than Pet Sounds, but still, <laughs> yeah. But Pet Sounds really is... Very highly regarded. It's well above average uh, in terms of uh, user ratings in all music. So I don't know. It, it doesn't really mean a lot, but it's interesting. You know, I really intend to listen to this album and try to enjoy it just like any other album. But if I don't get from listening to it why people love it so much, I'll have to do some research and see. I think a lot of effort was put into the production. If I remember correctly, they sampled a bunch of sounds to use in the album. But I don't know if that's enough to make an album so interesting. I don't know. Well, I've gone through this sort of revolution in my music listening probably over the last... Still pretty young. Over the last five years, or so. <laughs> but... Um, Hearing all the Beatles and listening to the full albums and listening to, you know, the Eagles or the Birds or Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks and all these albums like in the 21st century, when you listen to them at a party or something like that, you don't really get the full experience. But I feel like if you listen to it a few times, it's not too hard to sort of feel the gravitas of Sergeant Peppers or Abbey Road or something like that, that you can definitely get an idea of why it is so popular. So I, I think I've listened to this album before, but obviously not enough to sort of remember too much about it. But I have high hopes. Yeah. Like, I know it doesn't track exactly what we want it to track, but these ratings and these lists and stuff, they do say something. Yeah, about I, I agree. The music. Yeah. And I, I usually find myself agreeing with these sort of lists. When I see it's endorsed by Rolling Stone, I usually that usually gets me to the point where I can actually listen to it. And then when I listen to it and I don't like it, then I think, well, why do so many other people like it? So then I start listening to it more because I don't understand it. And obviously, if I do like it, then I listen to it anyway. So I, I feel like there's this sort of selection bias with things that are rated well. Either way, I sort of end up liking them a little bit more than I probably would anyway. But yeah, like these sort of older albums, which have sort of like a cult following, I, I usually can sort of get on board with. So it should be interesting if, if this is another home run. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, Cool. So thank you, Peter. Thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya.